Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for uh, church on this sunny Sunday morning. Hey, last week we made a major announcement about a new building purchase in Seattle. And over the next number of weeks, we're rolling out some other major announcements as well. Letting people know about all that God is doing in and through this local community. You know, sometimes following the Lord is like hanging on to a roller coaster for dear life. But you just trust that with God in charge, he is faithful to finish what he started. And so many of you know we've been praying and looking forward to launching a second campus in Seattle. God opened up a miracle property for us. We celebrated that last week, but we've got another announcement this morning that I think is equally amazing. And we got a short video that we're going to play for you this morning. Why don't you roll the tape? Hey friends, Pastor Russell here. Hey, we are on location at Angel of the Winds Arena in downtown Everett. We are excited to announce today that we have rented this facility for Easter 2023. You're not going to want to miss it, guys. It's going to be an incredible time. Hey, invite a friend, invite a family member. Get ready, get prayed up. We are excited to see you for Easter. God bless. Awesome. Now, they didn't tell me if the stadium uh, is for sale yet, but anyways, we're renting it. We are renting it for Easter 2023. I think last Easter, we had about 5,000 folks over the course of about 11 services here on Easter weekend, and uh, my voice just will not survive that this year. And so anyways, we got a little bit of a bigger facility, and uh, it's going to be an all-campus Easter event. We're going to rally the region for Jesus. And I think it's going to be an incredible opportunity for us to preach the gospel and see so many new folks put faith in the finished work of Christ. And so be praying for us. Uh, it's going to be an incredible event. We wanted to put it on your radar early. I know nobody's thinking about Easter now, but we are. And uh, needing to plan ahead for all that God is going to continue to do in and through this local church. Uh, as many of you know, over the last number of months, we have been going to Seattle for preview services and worship nights, and our next one is coming up next Sunday, August 7th, 6 p.m. We're going to be at a church called Cross and Crown Church right there in the University District. We're holding these services monthly as we are really preparing the ground for the launch of the Seattle campus. These nights have been filled just with incredible times in the presence of God. And I'm just convinced that when we operate as ambassadors of heaven, carrying the presence of Jesus, there is no darkness that his light can't transform. And so it's so funny. Anytime we do something in Seattle, I get hit up from folks across the nation. And they're like, did I read this right? There's charismatics in Seattle. There's a church that believes in the power of God in Seattle. Are you sure? Are you sure I'm reading this right? And I just said, man, we have not even seen anything yet. Guys, this story is just beginning and we get the opportunity to have the best seat in the house to what God's gonna do next. In fact, on Friday night, we was down in Ballard and Pastor Mike and the team did a little pop-up worship event. We just rented out a parking lot and it was fun. And it, 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 you know, so interesting is actually the Satanist showed up. I kid you not, the Satanist showed up. And they was holding signs and all angry and shouting all sorts of profanities and things like that. And as soon as Mike began to share his testimony about how God encountered him at the age of 13, man, you could feel the atmosphere of that place shift. You know what the Bible says? Even the demons believe and they tremble. 
I just wish we could get some Christians who believe and tremble. I wish we could just get some faith people who are willing to take God at his word and believe that there is not any mountain that won't melt like wax in his presence. So God is really doing an incredible work. We're gonna be back at it again next Sunday night, 6 p.m. And we're gonna invite you out for that. And then coming August 14th in two weeks, we're gonna be taking a special Heart for Pursuit offering to help fund the vision here over the next number of months. And so I'm gonna ask you to pray about what you could sow and uh, how you can be a part of God building upon the legacy of revival and reformation here in the Northwest. Hey, this morning, I'm gonna share with you out of the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And in doing so, we're gonna be in Mark chapter five. Mark five recounts a familiar story in the life of the ministry of Jesus, his interaction with a man named Jairus who was ruler of the synagogue in that city. Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter who is severely ill on the doorstep of death. And Jesus has an interaction with this man that will lead to the transformation of his family. And I believe that there are principles in Mark 5 that God, by his spirit, would so desire to impart into your life this morning. Mark 5 begins in a familiar place that many of us have been in our own faith journeys. When you're believing God for breakthrough, when you're believing God for a miracle, only to get a report that seems to be the exact opposite of what you've been believing for. And I want you to see how Jesus responds because the life of Jesus teaches. It's not just a story. It's not just a historical moment. It's not just an antiquated theology. The life of Jesus still teaches today. In fact, the word of God, the Bible says, is living and active. Meaning every time that you open this book, the spirit of God desires to speak something fresh and new in your life. Listen, God has not run out of revelation for the church. A lot of us have grown bored in our faith, but God hasn't run out of revelation. And I believe that there's some principles today that if applied to your life can lead to transformation in your future. Starting in verse 35 of Mark 5, the Bible says this, that while Jesus was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and they said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Let me stop there for a moment this morning, friend, and just make some simple observations. Dead things are God's specialty. And it is never a bother to the master to present your request to him. Hear me, friend. Prayer is not a laundry list of complaints. Prayer is not an exercise in arguing with God about things you don't understand. Prayer is not a one-way conversation in which you do all the talking. Prayer is not a hostage negotiation in which you attempt to bribe God for favor. Prayer is the simple act of a son or daughter communicating with a father who is predisposed to answer with grace, kindness, and mercy. And there are a lot of things that I don't understand, but I simply refuse to allow my incomplete view of life to shade the way that I see Jesus. I don't even know if Jairus is born again. The Bible doesn't tell us. It says that he's a ruler in the synagogue, but he has heard about a rabbi who walks with healing power. And I love the kindness and the goodness of God, which still draws men unto repentance. 
Do you know that there is no pre-qualification needed in your life to experience the goodness of God? And all over scripture, we see Jesus demonstrating God's kindness by healing the sick, cleansing the leper, raising the dead, casting out demons, and in doing so, demonstrating what is possible for all of those who will put their faith in his finished work. And while Jairus is contending for a miracle, servants from his house come to interrupt his journey. Tell him, don't bother Jesus anymore. Jairus, your daughter is dead. And this is where the story ends. But see, my Bible says in Philippians 4, be anxious about nothing. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Watch, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, you need a peace from God that is so solidified in your life that when you face things that you don't understand, you can rest in the one who has framed the very world with his spoken word. The goal in my life is not to build some sort of intellectual prowess by which I can explain all of the mysteries of God to people just like you or people just like me, but instead to find myself at rest and in peace with the very God who holds my future, empowers my present, and forgives my past. No, you don't need to understand everything. You need to fall in love with the God who framed everything. No, you don't need to have some sort of answer to all of life's existential questions. You need to have a revelation of a God who is so good that he doesn't owe you answers because he has come near and his nearness is enough for your life. Now watch, how do we present our request to God wrapped in prayer, petition, and thanksgiving? Well, the Bible says enter into his courts with thanksgiving and with praise. One of the most successful tools to develop a prayer life is to begin by thanking God for the thing that you have yet to see because thankfulness is prophetic. God, I am thanking you for the miracle. I don't yet see it in my flesh, but I know in the spirit realm it's already done. See, as believers, we pray from a place called done. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. So I don't pray as a beggar trying to get the king's attention, but instead a son who boldly approaches the throne of grace in my time of need. No, my God will supply. No, my God will come through. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm gonna see it soon. God has never failed and he won't start now. He begun it, he gonna end it. If he said it, he's gonna do it. I have put my faith in his finished work. We pray from a place called done. Let me caution you, refuse to subscribe to any theology that would seek to convince you that you are a bother to God. Friend, if it concerns you, trust me, it concerns him. That's why scripture says, cast all of your cares on him for he cares for you. You are not a nuisance to God, you are a child of God. You are not a distraction to God. You are an enjoyment to God. We don't pray as if we are begging scraps from the master's table, but instead as sons and daughters who are confident of our requests. 
See, Seattle is God's problem, not mine. The stadium event for Easter is God's problem, not mine. The finances of this church, God's problem, not mine. Your life is in his hands, and he may not answer every prayer in the time frame that you would like, but he has never lost a battle. He has never not come through. He has never left us stranded, and he won't start now. And why does it feel like sometimes God is absent from the crisis moments of our life? I believe Jesus answers this question in John 11 when he hears the report that Lazarus has died. Jesus says this, I am glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe. Let me tell you this morning, Jesus is after your development, not just your deliverance. The Bible says, unless a seed goes into the ground and first dies, it produces no good thing. I am convinced that God knows what I need most, and oftentimes he allows a situation to appear as dead prior to releasing his resurrection power, because what God is developing inside of me is a faith to believe. Hear me, never mistake what God allows in the temporary as what God intends for eternity. God allows things so he can develop people. God develops people so that they can change things. But if all your prayers got answered, but your life went undeveloped, that wouldn't lead you to righteousness. It would lead you to rebellion. Does Lazarus appear dead? Yes. Does my situation appear hopeless? Yes. Does my life appear to be over? Possibly. Do my best days appear to be behind me? Yes. But what God has been doing all along is developing the deep parts of your life so that you may believe. Now watch what happens in verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word, he said to Jairus, ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid only believe. I want you to notice the timing of Jesus's response. As soon as he heard the word, he responds, do not be afraid, only believe. See, scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But do you know what also comes by hearing? Fear, anxiety, doubt, and unbelief. Let me prove it to you. Exodus 15, the people heard and they were afraid. Genesis 3, I heard your voice in the garden, but I hid because I was afraid. Exodus 20, the people saw and heard the thunder and flashes of lightning and they were afraid. Joshua 2, when the people heard the report, their hearts melted with fear. Numbers 13, when the 10 spies brought back a negative report, the Hebrew children cowered in fear. If 10 spies can keep 3 million children out of their promise for 40 years, what negative reports have helped poison your destiny? Faith comes by hearing, but so does fear. It is your response to the negative voices in your life that dictate which spiritual quality you are going to manifest. As soon as Jesus heard the word of doubt, he responds with a word of faith. Do not be afraid, only believe. 
Watch, Jesus doesn't deny that there is a crisis. He is demonstrating his authority over the spiritual climate that announces dead things but makes no provision for faith things. Jesus is using his words to reframe the reality of this moment and in doing so he draws our attention to the first battle that must be won in the life of every believer. Friend, the issue that you are praying about is not the primary issue that Jesus is interested in dealing with. The first thing he is after is the development of your soul. Do not be afraid, only believe. Prayer is less about changing God's heart and more about changing yours. Jesus has to heal Jairus of his unbelief before he can heal Jairus' daughter of the sickness that threatens to take her life. What if a necessary rest stop on the road to your miracle is God dealing with the fear in your heart related to his ability to do the impossible? What if the most profound miracle of Mark 5 is God getting a hold of the heart of Jairus to such a degree that he would never doubt again? You see, some of you parents are scared to death for your kids, and rightfully so when you look at the world around you. But let me encourage you today, the battle isn't over them, it's over you. Maybe the most profound miracle God could do in your family, your marriage, your business, your relationships, is causing you to be the type of person who can stare death in the face and not be afraid because you are operating on a word from the master. Let me encourage you, the next time that you're faced with a negative re report, some pessimistic feedback or tempted to subscribe to a nihilistic outlook, change the atmosphere of your spirit by declaring an opposite word. Watch, Jesus says, speak to this mountain. God tells Moses, speak to this rock. There is something about the declaration of your mouth that frames and forms the spiritual reality of your future. The natural realm impacts the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm impacts the natural realm. And there is no divide because the one that we serve is Lord in both places. See, when I hear the voice of fear, I've had to learn to respond almost instantaneously. My God can do anything. No, this can be done. It is not too hard for God. I will not give up on this promise. I will not operate in fear and unbelief. My God will supply. My God will provide. My God will be faithful to finish what he started. See, we live in such a negative world that negativity and unbelief have become even the modus operandi for many in the church. When we bought this building, I had folks come out of the woodwork only to let me know how impossible it would be to remodel. I had one individual tell me, oh, we've been working on seven years to get permits to fix this area. You'll never get permits to fix this building. We got the permits. They say, you won't ever be able to fill this building. We filled it up five times every Sunday. You won't ever be able to make the payment on this property. We pay it without problem. I actually don't receive your feedback because I am building off the word I have from God, not the report I have from man. See, watch, the spiritual world is impacted by the material world. There is a reason why we pray in Jesus' name. 
It's a word that invokes authority. There's a reason why we anoint with oil. It's an action that invokes power. There is a reason we baptize in water. It's an activity that invokes transformation. What I say shapes the landscape for the type of life I live. And you cannot afford to allow your interior dialogue to prophesy you into dysfunction. You were created for life and life more abundantly. And you ought to be careful what you say about yourself because your listening. My son Matthew, he's eight years old, came up to me last week and he said, Dad, I've found out what the F word is. I said, oh boy, you've been hanging out with grandma again. <laughs> I said, come here, Matthew, tell me, tell me. He leaned, leaned in real close and he said, am I, am I gonna get in trouble for this? I said, no, just tell me the word you heard. He said, it's frick. <laughs> and it's not only that, dad, it's fricking. <laughs> I said, oh boy, Matthew, we don't say those words in this house. But here's what I'm trying to do as a parent. <clears throat> Even at an early age, I'm trying to teach these kids the power of life and death is in the tongue. Jesus said blessing and cursing can't come from the same river. All over scripture, we see the power and the authority of the believer to declare his kingdom come and his will be done on earth, even as it's being done in heaven. The Bible says that when God's word is released, it never returns void. It accomplishes everything it's been sent forth to do. <clears throat> That's why worship is eternal. Because what we sing here reverberates in eternal places for the rest of time. This is not just an exercise in futility. This is not just Christian karaoke on a Sunday morning. This is not just singing another song that you might have heard before, but now we're singing it for the first time in this place. It is an eternal word that is released in spiritual places that not only draws the attention of heaven, but makes spiritual principalities and powers quake. When the enemy wakes up in the morning, I want him to have a panic attack that the pursuit exists in the Northwest. I want the enemy to recognize that there are believers who are beginning to learn that they've got the power to either prophesy life or prophesy death, and we are choosing life. We are going to choose what this region is known for for the next 100 years, and in doing so, we are gonna allow our words to match his words so that our confession brings his kingdom to this earth and establishes his prerogative in this nation. No, you are invited to partner with God in the declaration for your future. See, when you allow fear to impact your spirit, you end up making a false confession about the trajectory of your life. Let me show you. Mark 4, a chapter earlier. The Bible records a story of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And they're in a boat and Jesus has fallen asleep and there begins to be a great storm. The disciples are frantic, but Jesus is sleeping because the realm in which he operates is dominated by peace. And the disciples get so upset that they finally yell out to Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? 
And Jesus stands up and he rebukes the storm and then he turns back to his disciples and he rebukes their lack of faith. Both things needed to be addressed in order to develop the deep things of the disciples who had pledged their life to Jesus Christ. It wasn't that Jesus denied that the storm existed. He just denied it a place of undue influence in his life. Jesus doesn't promise you a storm-free life. He doesn't promise you a problem-free life. What he gives you as a witness is the hope of glory which resides inside of you, which gives you the ability to declare peace with your mouth and see peace break out in your environment. That is the type of power that God has given New Testament spirit-filled believers. That is why you are not a victim of culture's narrative because you have the authority to reframe your reality by declaring God's word over life's circumstance. Don't you care that we're perishing? It was a false confession motivated by unchecked fear. Can Jesus use your storm today? Can Jesus partner with your pain? Could it be that there's a life lesson just waiting to be learned? No, friend, God is not absent from the crisis of my life. Instead, he desires to use the crisis of my present to develop me into a person who can trust him with my future. And in verse 37, the story continues. And Jesus permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. Listen, friend, you need some faith people in your inner circle. You need folks who will walk with you through death because they believe in the promise of life. No, life is not easy, but it becomes manageable when you got two or three who are willing to agree on what you see as possible. You do not need the majority to vote you into faith. You need two or three who are willing to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death and keep confessing God's reality until it becomes your reality. What are the voices that you have allowed in your inner circle? And could you see today the importance of having some faith people in your corner? I wish I could say that going into Seattle has been easy. It has not. When we announced that we were buying a building in the U District, I got 14 emails from pastors and leaders. Nine of them were angry. Four of them told me I needed their blessing before I started the church. And only one was positive. I got to make a choice. Which voices am I going to amplify in my life? Because anything that I amplify or magnify only grows in size. I found one guy who told me, I got your back. You got my support. Thanks for coming to my city. Anything I can do to help, don't hesitate to ask. And I remembered the verse. If two or three agree on anything, they can consider it done. I found somebody who would agree with what God wants to do in that city, and that's all I need. What voices will you allow to create which outcomes for your future? In fact, the church that we're renting next week belongs to that pastor. I thought to myself, man, God's got people all over this city. God's got supporters all over this city. Now, unfortunately, I heard from the other side quite a bit, but I'm just confident 
that if we can find one or two who will say your kingdom come, your will be done in the Northwest, even as it's being done in heaven, that is all God needs to send another wave of revival to the Northwest. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and he saw a commotion of people who were weeping and wailing loudly. He came into the house, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, she's sleeping. They ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and he entered the room where the child was lying. Jesus is mixing the ingredients for a miracle. But it can't happen until certain elements are added and other elements are eliminated. Jesus is preparing the atmosphere for what's about to happen next. See, some of you in this room today, you have been trying to live faith lives, but your house is filled with fear people. And you gotta make a decision, what is my circle gonna look like going forward? You know what I've realized? I can't share dreams with everyone. I can't share goals or hopes or vision or aspirations with everyone because people who don't operate in faith have their spirits agitated by people who do. You know what I've found? Some folks pride themselves in being everyone else's garbage collector. They pick up other people's offenses. They take on other people's toxicity. They have found an identity in being offended on everyone else's behalf. If you're the person who everyone feels comfortable gossiping to, that's not a compliment. If you're a person that everyone feels comfortable talking negative to, that's not a compliment. What they are saying is I've identified you as a supporter of my toxic traits, so have a little of my garbage so we can both stink together. See, what makes this a garbage can is the nature of what it collects. I could use this as an offering bucket. I could use this as storage in my garage. I could use this to transport groceries from the store, but what it collects helps establish its identity. It's a trash can, and when you put garbage in, you only get garbage out. See, misery loves company, but what it creates is a house that smells like death. And today you've got the authority to reframe your life around the words of Jesus Christ. I love what Jesus says. This girl is not dead, she's sleeping. See, faith sees an alternate reality. Jesus isn't hoping for a miracle. He lived in an atmosphere where life reigned supreme. And see, friend, what you say about what you see is a great indicator for the lens by which you view life. When I look through the lens of faith, my confession sounds like life. But when I look through the lens of my fears, my confession sounds like death. You ever meet a hypochondriac? 
they are convinced that every minor physical ailment is a death sentence. You know what I found? Some folks are spiritual hypochondriacs. Every minor inconvenience is a death sentence that just proves why they should have never trusted God in the first place. But today, I dare you to trust God with the outcomes of your life. I dare you to keep your peace in the middle of the storm. I dare you to trust him when stuff looks dead. I dare you to trust him with your family and your future and your finances and just watch what this God will do on your behalf. You know what I found is that people who are steeped in pessimism often operate with this as the model for their life. Don't get your hopes up. But see, the Bible says something different for believers. It says all who hope in the Lord will not be set to disappointment. For a promise fulfilled is the tree of life. And there are a lot of things that God does in ways that I don't understand and in time frames that don't always make me comfortable. But I've learned to trust that he has seen where I am going and already prepared a place for me at the table when I get there. And the enemy wants you to operate over time in anxiety and fear, trying to worry about things that you have no power to control. And today, if you could trust God with the outcomes of your life and exchange that lens of fear for the lens of faith, not only would it impact your internal real estate, but you would begin to see transformation in any atmosphere that you occupy. You know why? Because faith is contagious and so is fear. I love the boldness of Jesus. He walks into Jairus' house. He says, this is my house now. Why are you weeping? Why are you wailing? Stand outside. I got some faith people with me. I got Peter, James, and John. I got mom and dad. I'm telling you, I have seen a different reality. And I am not going to allow inferior voices to dictate the outcome. So Jesus clears the house and in doing so, sets the stage for the miracle. Dr. Leaf, a cognitive neuroscientist, after 25 years of research on the brain, has concluded that up to 87% of the illnesses that plague us today are a direct result of our thought life and interior dialogue. See, what we think about affects us both physically and emotionally. And she says this, that today what we face in the West is an epidemic of toxic emotions. Watch what Jesus says in verse 41. He took the child by the hand. He said to her, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked. She was 12 years of age and they were overcome with great amazement. But I want you to notice something. The miracle did not start when Jesus said arise. It started way back in verse 36 when Jesus took authority over fear and responded with a word, do not be afraid, only believe. Now, I want you to notice this morning that your journey towards the miracles that God has promised in your life 
don't begin when you see them in the flesh. But instead, when the attitude of your heart is, I will not operate in fear, I'm just going to believe. It's like when Jesus turns to the disciples and asks them if they will leave also. And they say, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of life. What other institution are we going to run to? What other societal construct are we going to pledge our allegiance to? What other option do we have outside of putting our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Man, just about every time I launch out a new vision, I hear that same old enemy telling me things like this. What if it doesn't happen? What if nobody shows up? What if you buy a building and start a campus and you're the only one there? What if you rent a stadium and you're the only one there? What if, what if, what if? And I have had to learn to respond to that voice with this statement, my dad can do anything. And I am asking you today to develop the interior dialogue of your life that when the word of fear comes, you immediately respond. That's not the God that I serve. That's not the track record that he has. He does not sleep, nor does he slumber. If he said it, he's going to do it. I've put my full faith and confidence in him. It might look dead, but it's only sleeping. I've got a God who specializes in resurrection. I am telling you, friend, today that is the God that you serve, but you have a part to play. You can either talk yourself into death, or you can talk yourself into life. The decision is yours. Do not fear, only believe. Come on, would you stand with me as we close this morning? Let me pray for you today, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you that your scripture says you have not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Today we shift the dialogue of our lives to align with what you have said to be true. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord knowing that he will promote us in due time. God, today we're just here to say if you will be our God, we in fact will be your people. God, we repent for the amount of times that we have allowed fear to change our confession. And so today we confess the hope of the gospel. We confess the reality of your sovereign power. We confess the principles of your kingdom. And we say, let it be unto us according to your word. We will not operate in fear. We will only believe. God, we pledge in this moment to be that type of people and to worship that type of God, and we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory, both now and forever. Come on, in Jesus' name, all God's people said amen and amen.